0: Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very, very accomplished individual from Michigan, USA, talking to us today from Florida, Dr. Barbara Oakley. Barbara, welcome to the show. Oh,
1: thank you for having me,
0: Ashutosh. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Oakley is a distinguished professor of engineering at Oakland University. She's Michigan's dis- Michi- Michigan's Distinguished Professor of the Year. Uh, she's an author, and all of you know, I'm always very partial to authors. She's an author of a book titled a Mind for Numbers, which has sold over a million copies worldwide, is a new New York Times bestselling book, and she's also been recognized as a distinguished military scholar. So, uh, Barbara, you transitioned from struggling in math, to becoming a professor of engineering. Can you share your personal journey and how it influenced your approach to teaching and learning? Oh, okay. So,
1: uh, first off, I, I do have to say that I always consider myself a writer, mm-hmm. that behind everything that I do, it's uh, I'm a writer. And so, um, So with that as background, I grew up hating math and science, which Mm -hmm. is really ironic since I'm now a distinguished professor of engineering, and I love math and science. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it was um, I went into the military, I enlisted when I was uh, right out of high school, Mm. and I wanted to at least since i thought i could never do anything technical i would at least try to learn another language which for most people worldwide is like that's so easy you, you know? know because there's so much uh i mean what do you call a um a bilingual you know a person who speaks Correct. two languages mm-hmm. is bilingual
2: yeah
1: a person who speaks one language is an American <laughs> but uh I so I enlisted to study another language I mm-hmm. picked Russian at random mm-hmm. and learned it and ended up working out on Soviet trawlers up in the Bering Sea yeah. but uh I also began to realize that I put myself in this kind of career box Mm -hmm. by always thinking that I had to just, uh, you know, follow my passion and learn Russian really well. Mm -hmm. And I did that. But at the same time, I didn't have many other career opportunities. Mm -hmm. And my other friends who were um, West Point engineers had lots of career opportunities that looked really Mm -hmm. fascinating. Mm. So when I was in my late twenties, I thought, you know, I, I love adventure and I I love new perspectives. So I don't I try a new perspective of the mind mm. and see if I can learn in math and science. Mm. Mm. So I uh, I went to the university, began studying at remedial. Um, high school algebra Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. slowly began climbing my way upwards. And it was not easy. Mm -hmm. But the higher I went, the easier it got, because I learned how to learn. Mm -hmm. And now I've become fascinated by how we learn effectively, Mm -hmm. what's the underlying neuroscience. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot there that educators in the past have, and actually often in, in the present, mm-hmm. simply are unaware of, mm-hmm. it can help us to learn more quickly, more effectively. And so that's my passion is Amazing. sharing about real insights, practically useful insights about how we learn effectively.
0: Amazing. And you know when i was reading about you and this whole thing of learning how to learn i thought i must ask you the first question which is what are some of the key concepts you teach in learning how to learn that my viewers and listeners can apply in their daily lives
1: okay the most important well there's like two super important things
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of them is that when you can't figure something out
2: mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't mean that you're untalented, that you're stupid, that whatever. It just means work to try and get yourself a little frustrated Mm -hmm. and then back away and go do something completely different. Because when you do that, you actually release the that task positive network that's trying to grab onto the new ideas Mm -hmm. and you allow your brain to range much more widely in what's called the default mode network. Mm -hmm. And that can actually knit together the ideas you need to be able to go back and solve that problem or understand that concept when you return to it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know that when I was a little kid, I just Mm -hmm. thought, you know, I can't figure math out in the first few minutes I'm trying to, figure it out. And so I must not be as gifted at math as other people. Mm -hmm. And indeed, I'm slower with learning these things, but I can learn it just as well, if not better, Mm -hmm. by just taking my time going back and forth between this focused and more diffuse default mode network. Mm -hmm. So if you can't figure things out, Let that default mode network work in the background on things. It will be enormously helpful. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I learned from having learned languages, and that is the importance of retrieval practice. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So when we're learning a new language, we often just will go, oh, oh, we, we want to memorize this vocabulary word, mm-hmm. And so we check using a flashcard, whether it's in our long-term memory.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and then if it isn't, we try it again. Mm-hmm. We don't do that with math, science, programming, uh, these kinds of things. We often simply don't think to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's the same sort of thing. If you're learning how to solve a problem, you want to get that... Um, The sequence of Mm. what you do when you're solving that problem into your mind. Mm. So you want to treat it as if it's a big uh, paragraph Mm -hmm. that you're kind of figuring out in a new language. Mm. Look at each sentence, so to speak, and see if you can guess or intuit the next sentence Mm -hmm. which is the next step in solving that problem Mm -hmm. if you practice like this it's kind of like practicing a song Mm -hmm. you you when you if you practice enough repeatedly over a number of days with the same problem Mm -hmm. and uh, a number of problems in this way Mm -hmm. it's it's like you're learning a lot of songs increasing your repertoire and when you look at a problem the solution will sing, it will unfold within your mind, because you're training your brain to use these uh, and work with these ideas with automaticity. And that can make uh, an enormous difference in your long term success.
0: What a a, a powerful uh, statement you've made for a lot of our viewers and listeners. Uh, You also have written about the importance of sleep in learning and memory consolidation. Help me understand this.
1: So what happens when you go to sleep, is learning itself involves making these long term, or these connections in your long term memory between neurons. So when you go to sleep, what your brain does is it sweeps these rhythms through your brain, you know, and it says, what should I strengthen? Mm-hmm. If you've used these pathways that day and better yet, right before you go to sleep, mm-hmm. if you retrieve, recall, get into mind, the key points you're trying to remember or understand, mm-hmm. your brain goes, oh, that's, oh, that's really important. Mm-hmm. We, I better practice with this. Mm-hmm. And it will sweep through and, sending little signals repetitively mm. over those pathways yeah. and strengthen them. So that's why when you go to sleep at night and you're like, uh, you're trying to understand this concept or, or, or know how to say a word yeah. in a foreign language that you're struggling with. And in the morning, you can wake up and suddenly you can do it. It's because mm. your brain has been practicing at night with whatever you're learning. So sleep is really an important part of learning.
0: I know. You know, when we were, when I was a child, my mother would tell me, if you want to wake up at a certain time, tell your pillow and go to sleep. And I guess, and I would wake up absolutely on time. So I guess this is exactly what you're saying. Train your brain to be able to react to something just before you're going to sleep.
1: That's exactly right. And this also does indicate that little naps, you know, taking a little nap during mm-hmm. the day is also beneficial so yeah. if you you know if you have the wherewithal to be able to do that
2: mm-hmm.
1: what that will do is make it so that you are as vibrant in the afternoon as you were in the morning at yeah. least learning wise and there's good studies that have shown that
0: fascinating and i also wanted to get your views on the future of education especially in a post pandemic world where online learning seems to have uh, taken off
1: I think there is so much potential in online learning, but there's also a lot of pushback from mm. educators because educators are fearful that um, online learning can maybe take their jobs. Mm. The The challenge is, I mean, I have seen a world famous, one of the the most prestigious and esteemed researchers in online learning, and he is, I've watched him give a webinar on Mm. how not good online learning is. And I've watched him Mm. and he will sit there showing his face, showing his book beside him. And that's all he does for Mm. 45 minutes. This is bad online teaching. Of course he thinks online teaching isn't Mm. as good as as regular face-to-face. But actually good online teaching can be more powerful and more effective in many cases than face-to-face because you can do things with really good online learning that you can't do in a regular face-to-face classroom. I can't flip myself over, Mm -hmm. you know, the class, you know, I wish I could, Mm -hmm. but you can do surprising and innovative things online. Mm -hmm. And so I think the future is very bright, but it will be slow for mm-hmm. these new and better methods uh, for learning to be integrated, because there is some pushback from those who are a little worried that uh, you know it, it could be competition for them.
0: Correct. Well said. So, one more question relating to learning, and then I want to move to your book. Uh, I wanted to get your perspective on the implications of your research. For those individuals who struggle with traditional learning methods,
1: I think what's important is what I do oftentimes, I, I write research papers, but I'm also i'm I think I'm even better at translating key points mm-hmm. from neuroscience uh, from cognitive psychology and conveying them in a way that people can really grasp what is practically useful Mm. for them. What is happening is um, oftentimes we have, um, educators will convey this idea that Mm. there's only one way to really learn something. Mm. They will say that's not what they're doing, Mm. but then they'll say, you don't understand this concept unless you can explain it to me. Mm. That is not true. Those who have a, um, a, uh, an inclination towards more basal ganglia, habitual procedural learning, which allows mm-hmm. them to see these complex patterns, mm-hmm. they can understand how to do something. They can do complex mathematical problems and they cannot explain it mm-hmm. it's because they're using a very, very different learning system right. that is incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think a lack of understanding of the, the declarative versus the procedural pathway on yeah. the part of educators yeah. has has kind of um, made them so that they, they are very uh, focused on there's only one way to learn. You explain things, that means you understand it. And it, that's simply not true. And also, there's a lack of respect for the value of rote learning. Rote learning itself is dismissed as drill and kill. Mm-hmm. However, we know, like, if if you're learning uh, a new language, if you're learning how to play a musical instrument, if you're learning a sport, mm-hmm. you have to practice and know things by rote a right. lot of times. Right. So I think this is why, uh, for example, in my college in uh at at oakland university in michigan many of my colleagues were originally schooled in countries like india Mm. like china uh the middle east where there's an appreciation for the value of rote learning Mm. and uh even when i was in finland recently yeah I, I was asked to speak to a group of STEM professors, science, technology, engineering, and math, mm-hmm. and I there's by and large the group consisted of many individuals from India, the Middle East, and so forth, and they they were saying, look, can't you just tell them that mm-hmm. they need to start bringing these ideas about the value of subrote okay. learning into Finnish, um, you mm-hmm. know, because. Finnish students are really struggling with mathematics. Incidentally, I should note that there's some evidence that people will say, oh, Finland's the best in the world, according to PISA. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, people often don't know that PISA picks their um, questions after they've given the test worldwide. Mm -hmm. So I'm not Mm -hmm. saying they're doing this, but if they like a country, they could... (laughs) <laughs> nudge that country upwards. And indeed, there's another test called Tim's, where Finland
0: is middle of the pack. Ooh. Okay. So let's. I want to now move to your book, uh, A Mind for Numbers. And for someone who was struggling with math, to write a book titled A Mind for Numbers, what inspired you to write the book? Well,
1: one day, one of my engineering students found out about my sordid past as a math flunky, okay. and he said, how did you do it? How did you change your brain? So I, I sent him a little email and described uh, uh, some some things I did. And then I thought, you know. I have, because I've researched for things I've been curious about, I've really spent years trying to understand what's going on in cognitive psychology and neuroscience. So why don't I pull together some of these ideas? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of um, books are written by people who are, for example, cognitive psychologists. They've Mm -hmm. gone through years of training in exactly that, but that means They don't really have a good background in STEM. They think they know how how someone learns in advanced and difficult mathematical and, and scientific concepts, but they don't know because they haven't done that themselves. They're just kind of extrapolating that because they're psychologists and they know that everybody learns the same sort of way. Mm. And, and so that's not true. Mm -hmm. Actually, you can have a lot of insight about learning from coming within that field of, Mm. uh, of engineering, for example. Mm. So the book is, uh, it's, it's kind of a personal story, but it also has a lot of practical insights. Mm. In fact, that's the book of the book Mm. on how do you change your brain, if you're not very good math and science how do you change your brain to become good Mm. and if you're already good how do you get better
2: Mm.
1: and apparently this this book has resonated and it's so funny because i didn't pick the name of the book a mind Mm. for numbers um my publisher did and i thought you know this book is going to go nowhere because it's a really boring name for a book i mean if you look actually A mind for numbers is a phrase that comes up with obituaries and funerals, Mm. right? So and so had a real mind for numbers, Mm. and uh, but it, it, I don't know these ideas and the way they're phrased. I also reached out to um, thousands of top uh, professors in. Engineering, economics, psychology, English, even, all sorts of different disciplines. It got, they read the manuscript so that there's a lot of insight and feedback from, from many, many, many top instructors around the world. One of the most interesting things they told me is a lot of people mentioned this. They'd, they'd say, you know, there's this one thing I do in my teaching, and it really helps but I often don't tell others mm-hmm. about the other instructors that I mm. do this. And that is, I use metaphors and analogies in my teaching. Mm. And you might think, well, that's pretty simplistic. You know, mm. you use a metaphor like um, wa- the flow of water mm. as being, uh, you know, helping us gain insight into the flow of electrical mm. current. Mm. But but the thing is... Um, They wouldn't tell the other instructors that they would do this, because the other instructors would say, well, that's why you're so popular as a teacher, you're just making it all easy for people. And And it's so
0: funny, because it's like, isn't that our job? And you know, what you have uh, spoken about emphasizes the importance of mathematics. And I know, as an Indian, from the time I was a child, we were never allowed to give up maths. Whether you like it or not, you just had to do it because older people and then I told my children, maths will always serve you well and you are just re-emphasizing that but tell me um, Barbara, how does understanding the brain's neural mechanisms help someone to learn more effectively especially when you have maths uh, as as a main subject?
1: It is... so people can tell you retrieval practice is important. Mm-hmm. So check to see if something is in long-term memory. They, they can tell you that, but it's also kind of like saying, oh, yes, yeah, sleep is really important. You should get enough sleep.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, parents have told their children this forever, but kids just still ignore it. And the, the reason they ignore it is they don't know why. Mm-hmm. But the why behind um, that underlies learning is so simple to understand, at least the key metaphorical ideas that, um, and when you convey these key metaphorical ideas, Mm -hmm. people go, that's why. Mm -hmm. And then they are much more inclined both to do it and to do it in a perceptive way that actually helps them to do it more effectively. So learning about how we learn, I, I'm just amazed. Um, we we give children twelve to sixteen years of education,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and isn't it amazing that we virtually never give them a course on how to learn effectively? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that will be changing in the years to come. People will be uh, taught about these ideas on how, I mean, why are we getting all this information crammed into us with no information about effective tools for getting that information assimilated Mm. more easily? So I think there's going to be some wonderful changes over the next 50 years or
0: so in education. Amazing. You also talk about the concept of chunking. Uh, Tell me, how can it help us understand complex ideas more effectively?
1: So chunking means, in essence, uh, getting little bits, see, our working memory could only grab little pieces at a time. Hmm. So, So for example, let's say we're trying to learn a song we don't, you know, and you want to learn to play a song on the piano or on the violin, whatever you're. Learning. Um, so you learn a little piece, you practice with it, a little piece practice. So it's a little chunk, a little chunk, a little chunk, mm-hmm. and then as you put them in your long-term memory and you begin to practice them together, mm-hmm. you start they they start becoming bigger chunks that mm-hmm. you can easily pull to mind for example when you're first learning to read you're learning a letter what is a letter how Mm. does that sound Mm. but then you gradually practice with it and so it first you have a chunk which is a letter Mm -hmm. then gradually you have a chunk that's a word then you're able to read sentences and you know so so, small chunks is the key, especially for those with lesser capacity working mm-hmm. memory like me, mm-hmm. uh, to be successful in whatever you're learning. Because as long as you can get that in long term memory, your long term memory will knit together those mm-hmm. patterns mm-hmm. so you can later withdraw bigger chunks mm-hmm. uh,
0: of comprehension and understanding. Amazing. So, I have time for two more questions. My next question is that. You also speak about the fact that it's never too late to learn. Uh, Can you share some of your thoughts for adults who might be intimidated to go back to school? So I
1: think part of the challenge for us as adults is that we often, uh, we have very, very busy lives. Students think they have busy lives, mm. but adults have even more busy lives. Okay. And but the thing is, we can still make those connections. Mm. We can still learn. Can, remember, I talked about those two different pathways. In older people, that procedural pathway becomes less prominent. This is why it's harder to speak a language or learn to speak a language as an adult, mm-hmm. um, you know, because that procedural system helps with the intuitive ability to speak quickly, mm-hmm. but you can still do it. Because you're learning that using that declarative system, and you can communicate the ideas, you can learn effectively with that, and um, and you can actually do really really well. One thing they found in older individuals mm-hmm. that really helps them to rebuild the working memory and um the ability to focus and concentrate they had when they were younger mm-hmm. is action style video games mm-hmm. and oftentimes we adults are like video games that's a very bad thing but um it's actually very it can be extremely helpful even in nature uh one of the top journals in the world there's wonderful uh, papers about the effectiveness of these kinds of action style video games in enhancing uh, the cognition of older individuals. Correct.
0: Correct. You know, you're so right. I mean, I'm 66, but I still play a lot of video games whenever I have time. And my yeah. last question for you, Barbara, and this is um, from your book Mind Shift. I I wish I had time to keep talking to you, Ben. you so much to learn from you. But you talk about the concept of career reinvention. Could you discuss this and how it relates to lifelong learning?
1: I think what people often do is they think, oh, I'm in this career, I'm maybe teaching English as a second language, Mm. how how on earth could I reinvent myself as a doctor? Mm. Yet, actually, as it turns out, you're, you're The insights you've gained in this seemingly completely different field Mm -hmm. can add value to your ability to be successful and to be, you know, like a very innovative individual in the new field you might pick. Mm -hmm. For example, I know uh, a a person who is an incredible guitarist, Mm -hmm. decided to become a doctor. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, he was able to use his ability to hear and listen to be a better diagnostician as a doctor because he could hear things Mm. that others couldn't when he was listening to patients and so forth. So oftentimes it's surprising, but whatever you've done in the past that seems to be, you know, oh, I was a taxi driver before, that's not going to help. Oh, no, that can be remarkably helpful Mm. because it gives you people skills. So uh, there's there's this reinventing yourself is important. And the idea is to learn to grow comfortable with being uncomfortable, because Mm -hmm. reinventing yourself can sometimes be uncomfortable. But you can be very successful at lots of new things.
0: Amazing. And on that note, Barbara, we've run out of time. But I really want to say, what an amazing conversation this has been. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your own journey. I mean, I think Our Viewers and listeners have a lot to learn from someone who didn't like math to becoming a professor of engineering and writing a best-selling book, A Mind for Numbers, which has sold over a million copies. Thank you for speaking to me about so many different aspects of learning. I mean, I learned many new things from you when you were speaking about different aspects of learning, learning how to learn, importance of sleep and how you can actually train your brain, Thank you also for speaking to me about your book, A Mind for Numbers. I'm going to ask all our viewers and listeners to go and check out Dr. Barbara Oakley's book. I'm going to uh, check out the book and get a copy for myself. Thank you finally for speaking to me and good luck to you.
1: No, thank you so much, Ashitasha. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You, videocast and podcast